This is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. On the show today, you'll find out where book publishing is going and how to take advantage of it. How to identify and avoid publishing predators. What opportunities are emerging as the book trade evolves in new forms. How to avoid losing money and much, much more. Join us now as a variety of publishing pros will deliver insights and strategies to take the author to the next, next level of publishing. It's your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Brought to you by Author You and The Book Shepherd. And now, here's your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Well, hello and welcome back to this week's podcast for your author success with the Author You, Your Guide to Book Publishing show. As you listen, you will be getting a variety of ahas, insights, tips, and how-tos for your author publishing and book marketing success. I always like to open our shows with a quote from my little gem of a quote book, The Snappy, Sassy, Salty Success for authors and writers, and it's going to tie in with our overall theme today because we're going to be talking about reviews, we're going to talk about writing, we're going to be talking about author success. But my quote for today is, if the reader needs a crossword dictionary to figure out what you've written, you're using the wrong words. With us today is the amazing, the awesome, the New York Times Um, award-winning, multi-award-winning book reviewer under her hat, as well as novelist extraordinaire. Sandra Dulles is with us today. And Sandra has written uh, 18 adult novels, five middle-grade school novels, and 10 nonfiction books. She knows books. Her novels are about loyalty, friendship, and human dignity, and they've been honored to be translated into over a dozen foreign languages and optioned for films. She began her writing career as a reporter for Business Week, a staff member for 25 years, and she was the magazine's first female girl chief. She covered the Rocky Mountain region, which is my home base, writing about everything from penny stock scandals to hard rock mining, Western energy development to contemporary polygamy. Woo! Many of her experiences have been incorporated into her novels. Sandra, in 1920 or 19, in 2021, I'm losing 100 years here, in 2021 was inducted into the Colorado Authors Hall of Fame and in 2023, she won the coveted Colorado Book Award. She's a three-time recipient of the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum's Wrangler Award, a four-time winner of the Western Writers of America Spur Award, and a five-time winner of the Women Writing the West Wella Award. She was given the Romantic Times Reviewer's Choice Award for Historical Fiction, and she was the recipient of the Eleanor uh, Gray's Award for the Denver Public Library and the Frank Walters Award for the Pikes Peak Library District. So we have someone who knows writing. We have someone who knows books. We have someone who has been on both sides as the author 
and as the recipient of books to review. Uh, when her reviews come out in the Denver Post here in Colorado, they're the first ones that I read to make a decision, do I want to pick up this book? Sandra, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's nice to be here. All right. So let's start Let's start with reviews. Um, you've been reviewing books for how long? <laughs> uh, more than 60 years. Whoa. <laughs> all right. So a gazillion years um, in reviewing books. So you see all sizes, shapes, kinds, I, kids to adults, would I assume I'm in the right track here? Yes. All right. So what's the thing that makes you pick up a book? I've actually been in a, a, a newspaper office and I remember talking to who you I know you know well, Patty Thorne, when she did reviews for the Rocky uh, Mountain uh, Press uh, that I always liked too, Rocky Mountain News. And her, you couldn't even walk in her office. There were so many piles of books, so many piles. And then they were outside the office doors with the when either you're done or rejects. How do you get through those piles? <laughs> uh, I don't receive as many books as that. Uh, generally now that uh, I think it started during COVID, uh, publishers, uh, uh, publicists check with you before they send books. They ask if you'd like to review a, a certain book or see a review copy, uh, and then they send it if you uh, uh, reply yes. Uh, I do get books that I don't ask for, but I'm pretty limited in what I receive which doesn't mean that I don't get a lot of books. Mm -hmm. Well, what, what's the pop out? What makes a book pop out? Is it the visual of the cover right away, or is it the press release that comes with it? What's, what are you looking for? Um, because I receive books that I ask for, I do pay attention to them when they come in. I write for the Denver Post, and so I'm interested uh, I, I do two columns, one on books of regional interest, another on mysteries. I, so the books of regional interest, I look for local authors or I look for local subjects, and I ask for those books, or uh, sometimes the publishers just send them to me. I look, first of all, to see if there is a connection to the West. Uh, that, has to, that can be either the author or the subject. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't review self-published books. I know writers fight that, and I get some nasty emails when I say that sometimes. But it's traditional for newspapers not to review those books. Uh, the reason I think the original um, uh, idea behind that is if a book is good enough, it'll get a actual publisher, a mainstream publisher. I'm not so sure that's true anymore, and there are a lot of self-published books that are good books. The problem is, once you open the door, you get so many. You get family genealogy. You get uh, stories of, of uh, people who uh, uh, want to write about their illness, uh, and you just can't read everything that comes in. Mm -hmm. So I just make it clear that I don't review self-published or vanity press books. 
Well, uh, I, you know, I totally agree with you on the Vanity Press and actually most of the self-published. How do you differentiate between an independent press, which a lot of people started their first book, I guess they'd call it self, but they actually were dedicated to build their own little publishing corner of the world. How do you differentiate those as a reviewer? Um, I don't review books if somebody has started his own press. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's the same thing as self-publishing. I don't. I can't always find out um, if uh, a publisher is legitimate. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of them look like it, and they have nice websites. So sometimes you just ask the author if the author has contacted you. Mm-hmm. Generally, if an officer, an, uh, an, an uh, author contacts me, um, I'll make it clear that I don't review self-published books, so I don't mm-hmm. get those. I don't get as many as I might if I uh, mm-hmm. started reviewing them. Mm-hmm. And, and you, it's you disappointing. Are, yeah, um, it those is. People have, those people put a lot of effort in the books. Um, many of them have dreamed for years of being published and have been turned down by publishers. And this is the only way they can get the book into print. So it's it's a hard decision to make. Mm-hmm. I, I can totally understand. I mean, I... Um, um, I know when I crossed over and created my own press 20 years ago, and I published other people as well, I would never go back to traditional publishing. And that just because I know too much about the, the whole process at this point. But I'm seeing a lot of, of well-established authors crossing back over and taking on the independent route who have been with New York for years. That's a whole new trend. Um. I probably don't review those authors mm-hmm. just because they're not in the categories that I um, review books. Your mysteries in your regional. Yeah, I get that. All right. So let's let me. So what, what would make a book pop out? Let's go back to this. So when they come in, let's say it's in your mystery or it's a Western regional connected with even with Colorado or the Western states. What gets your eye first? Oh, I think the cover. Okay. Um, if it's if it's, I don't know. There are just some covers that you look at and you think, oh wow. And then I look at the author's name to make to see who it is when I do uh, review a mm-hmm. uh, regional book. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a book by say Tom Noel, who is a very popular lo- local author, then mm-hmm. then I know that I'm going to review it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I look at the title of the book and the subject matter. When I review mysteries, that's harder because I know the West, and I know that um, what subjects Western writers are going to uh, mm-hmm. be writing about and whether they'll be of interest to readers. The, the, the whole thing about reviewing books is your responsibility is to the reader. It's not to the author's. You want to tell readers about books that they will like, and I don't. I've been people have told me um, that, uh, oh, you just review books you like, mm. because the reviews tend to be positive, and that's true. Um, if a book isn't any good, why review it? Why give space to it? 
I do review some books I don't like. Um, there are authors out there whose writing I don't like, but I know that's personal and that readers may like those authors. So I have to be careful not to let my own likes uh, influence the review. Okay. All right, hold your thought. We're going to, we're coming up here with our first break and we'll be right back, everyone. <laughs> is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. And we'll be right back with more great information right after these. Is there a book in you or another? Author You shows you how to create, develop, and publish your book without being hoodwinked. If you already have a book out, you will find a supportive and brainstorming community that is connected and creative, no matter where you live. Author You brings in national experts for its book camps and annual Author You Extravaganza. It has regular meetings and delivers webinars for its members on timely topics. Through Author You's extensive network, Members enjoy exclusive benefits, including significant discounts for a variety of services necessary to publishing. AuthorU is the premier authoring resource in the country, creating community, education, guidance, vision, and success for the serious author. If you want to create a book that has pizzazz, punch, and panache, AuthorU is for you. Timely author and publishing tips and articles are posted on its social media platforms. And it is free. Discover Author U, where authors go to become seriously successful. Join Author U today at authoru.org. Welcome back to your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. If you want to write and publish a book... If you want to be successful as an author, your guide to book publishing, everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask, is for you. Stay tuned and you'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now to get you published. So let's get back to the show. And here again is your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. With me today is Colorado Authors Hall of Famer Sandra Dallas. He is a New York Times bestselling novelist of over 18 adult novels, and then there's a whole bunch of others, and um, and she does book reviews as well. So we, we thought we'd kick off the show with talking about some of the elements when a book reviewer is looking at it. And it's one of the things that Sandra revealed uh, just before we went to the break is book covers do count. I don't know how many times I've said that. That book cover better say, pick me up, look me over. All right, what else, Sandra, are, are you looking for? Um, I don't know. I, I just look at the books, and, and um, uh, if the cover is something really intriguing, I know that I'm going to, to um, uh, pay attention to it. Um, I also look at the authors mm -hmm. for my books on regional interest. I know that there are certain authors who are very popular, 
and that readers want to know about their books. And then the titles can be intriguing. Um, a good title uh, is really helpful. My second book was called The Persian Pickle Club, and it's a book that, that actually took off. It was not New York Times, but it, it took off because it was about quilting. Um, bookstore owners told me that they actually ordered the book because of the title. They had mm-hmm. no idea who I was or mm-hmm. really what the book was about. So titles matter. Yeah, titles do. And you and used, I think, a great word, intriguing. I often use compelling, but I, I like intriguing. Does it pull me in? And, you know, and I should tell tell our listeners when when Sandra was inducted into the Authors Hall of Fame, a whole group of quilters who had the Pickle Club book um, came from Golden, Colorado, just to honor you and your book and be there, which I loved. I thought that was great. I did, too. I thought it was nice of them. Yeah, it was terrific. Okay, there, there. If you could give a couple of points of what would be maybe a turnoff, let's say a book you were you had an interest in, a publicist contacted you, you said send it in, and the bills are not chiming when you open the package with the book. What kind of things would that be? Uh, again, you know, really lousy cover. Um, uh, but. I think reading the book or trying to read the book and knowing it's not very well written or it's not really what the publicist said it was mm-hmm. um, with with mysteries, um, a turn off is, 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 I just don't like the book. Um, the writing isn't bad. The writing is bad. The, the story isn't very good. Um, I know that it's something that local readers might not like. I'm reading something now that has an awful lot of profanity and uh, sex in it, and I'm wondering if I should put it in my mysteries, in my, uh, yeah, it's a mystery column, um, because the Denver Post is a family newspaper. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure I should recommend it. Well, I, you know, as someone who does coaching, if your gut is telling you, I'm not sure, I'd probably do a pass. Um that, that, that there's so many different things going on, but that's just kind of my instant reaction when you just said that um, on that. You have, to, you have to know who your readers are. Let's go back to what you said just before the bake. Always remember, reviewer's responsibility is to the reader. If they're going to um, offer books, suggest books, recommend books, who are their readers? Um, and I have to keep that in mind. I get... Uh, e- um, emails from people who say, you know, my son wrote this book before he died, uh, or, or someone who said she survived cancer and has written about it. And these are books that personally are are so important to them. Um, but you have to wonder: Do readers really care about this? Do the one do they want to read a book on how I survived? Um, um, Micronial, uh, any number of illnesses. Exactly. Um, or people also write books about someone who has died, and they want that person memorialized, and it's hard to turn them down. But it's not a book that will appeal to readers. Mm-hmm. It's a book that they want published, 
And they say, you know, it would mean so much if you reviewed this book. But mm-hmm. you can't. No. Well, you can't kiss all the girls, right? We used to say that years ago. <laughs> you can't. Well, let's let's talk about your transition from journalism um, to your your first novel. It wasn't something you wrote when you were thirty or forty. It actually was fifty. What was the transition? What was it? What was the epiphany you came in saying? Well, maybe I don't want to be this journalist. I don't know if you were. You know, you were with the um, business week at that time when you did the transition. Um, but what was what was the epiphany that came in? Two writer friends and I decided we were going to write a bodice buster. Uh, one of the writers worked for People magazine, and the other was a ski writer. And we got together and came up with a, a plot and assigned characters, and uh, we wrote some of this book. But our styles didn't mesh. Uh, mm. The um, uh, ski writer's stuff sounded like a travelogue. And the People magazine lady had all of these one-word sentences like, wow. And my stuff read like an annual report because I work for Business Week. And we never got <laughs> to the sex. And sex has always been really hard for me to write. Um, I remember the first time I tried, I... Um, sat down at I'm probably a typewriter at the time and I wrote he unbuttoned the first button of her blouse and I sat for a long time and then I wrote the next morning <laughs> and I've never been able to write sex I can do a lot of, I can kill off people pretty easily but uh, sex is just something <laughs> I can't write about but anyway the book this book didn't work but I realized how much fun it was to write um, uh, fiction. I had tried it before, and it didn't work. But for some reason, this time, I wasn't afraid of the blank page. When you're a reporter, you've got a notebook full of stuff, and you know what has to go into the, the story. Mm-hmm. But fiction, you don't know what's going to happen. And you sit there, and things occur to you. Um, we all have times where, that are very creative, and mine for years was... After I finished my workout at the DU gym, I would lie on a foam roller, and that's where things would occur to me. But they also happen when you're sitting at the typewriter or in the shower or any place that's creative, and and you don't know what's going to happen. And you're always surprised that, well, you know that our characters are, are very real to us, and we care about them. And sometimes they come up with, things. They tell you something or they um, uh, surprise you with something. And it's just a, it's an exciting thing to sit there and have this come into your mind. It is. So- and I loved it. I loved not having to be um, restricted by facts. With fiction, you can make up things. And it was, it took me a while I wrote several books uh, before I actually um, got something published, several novels before I got something published. But I loved writing novels. I liked it much more better than writing nonfiction. So when you were writing nonfiction, um, which is how I certainly started out, now I've crossed over into fiction now too, 
is that it, it it's almost have you have this kind of you you're talking about all your notes your notebooks full of information that you have to contain in the storyline so it's kind of an outlining fiction has it, it it sounds to me you're not an outliner you're just kind of letting it happen you have a main that's, idea that's right i know where the book is going to end i know it's how to how mm. it starts and i know how it ends and i write toward that ending and as i do subplots and new characters emerge very often when I get to that ending, I change it because it seems too obvious. But that's that's what I'm aiming at. Well, I kind of like that. I think that's really helpful information, Sandra, because a lot of people think they have to have the whole thing laid out instead of allowing their characters to kind of be partners here um, and play with you. I think writing, you you have to figure out what works for you. And I have friends who have extensive outlines and they have to have it. Um, I, the only time I ever um, came up with an outline was uh, when a publisher needed it after I had submitted the book. I, it just doesn't, doesn't work for me. But, you know, it's like if you mm-hmm. want to write in the middle of the night, that's up to you. If you want to write in the morning, that's fine. It, it just uh, Some people write um, uh, in coffee shops. I have a couple of friends who do that. I do too. Um, I um, I have to write in my office at home. Mm-hmm. I just can't seem to write anyplace else. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm a I'm a voyeur, so if I I get distracted, if I'm in a coffee shop or any of that, all of a sudden I'm watching people. Now I can rationalize <laughs> saying I'm developing characters. I'm, I'm going up with, well, that has value because a lot of writing is just listening to people, and and I have always carried paper and pencil in my purse because I'll hear somebody say something and I I'll write it down right away because if I try to remember it, I'll remember it wrong. And oh. it's fascinating just to listen to people's conversations. Oh, Sandra, the best place I used to find for conversations was in the women's restroom. That was before <laughs> that was before the mobile phones came up because I could hear stall to stall conversations. It was hilarious. And then I couldn't hear the other side anymore. It was so, so awful. <laughs> I was in a restaurant in Butte, Montana before I ever started writing fiction. And it was a Chinese restaurant, and so I was in an enclosed space. And and uh, people, when they can't see you, think you can't hear them. And I was listening to the conversations on either side of me, which were very clear. And and I started; they weren't salacious or anything, but I started writing them down, just the way people talked and the the way they used words over and over mm-hmm. again. And it was fascinating. And when I started writing fiction, I went back to those notes. And and use some of that dialogue. And that's what and that's what makes it normal and real. And people don't realize that. I have told people so many times. Whatever genre you're writing for, I had a, I have one of my authors who was I was working with writing for kiddos, but she didn't hang out with kiddos. And I said, you need to go hang out with kiddos so you know <laughs> how they talk, how they think, how they act. And she kind of looked at me. Sandra, with the, you know, the deer with the glazed look in their eyes. And I just thought, oh, oh, we're in trouble here. All right, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to take a quick break here. With me is Sandra Dulles. She is an amazing author. If, If you like just a great mystery read, pick up her books. I can tell you when I've had them in my house, people pick them up and take them home. 
is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. And we'll be right back with more great information right after these. Discover the power of you and your book at the Judith Bryles Unplugged events. Each summer, Judith Bryles Book Marketing Unplugged unfolds over three intensive days working with just Judith. You get publishing strategies, author and book platforms, book marketing panache and pizzazz, and authoring tools to take you and your book to rock star success. In the fall and winter, Judith Bryles Speaking Unplugged includes Judith as your coach and mentor during two powerful days. You will learn how to structure a speech, how to create openings and closings, how to find gigs that pay you and sell your books, and you will get one-on-one coaching. Go to thebookshepherd.com and click on the events tab to learn how to participate at the next Unplugged Workshop event. Welcome back to your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Coming up, you'll hear more about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now to get you published. So let's get back to the show. And here again is your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. It's not often when you get the opportunity of speaking with, you know, listening the wisdom at the feet of a really prolific New York Times bestselling author who has her foot both understands with both feet in the nonfiction world as well as the fiction world, writing in those where dominant she is in the fiction world now. Sandra Dallas is with us. She is a 2021 inductee into the Authors Hall of Fame, which is very exciting. And um and and a lot of times Sandra People think that you have to, um, all authors are really young people, and they're not. You said you broke out your first novel when you're 50. I'm thinking that's more common than not. Any thoughts there? I I don't know. It does seem there are a lot of young authors. Uh, But I don't know. I'm... I'm 84, and I'm about to sign a two-book contract, so you can write till you die. Um, Which is great. <laughs> yeah, people, and people people do. We, you know, those books aren't always good, but <laughs> they keep mm-hmm. going. I, I don't know that there's any age for authors. I think that a publishing company may be reluctant to take on an, an old author um, just because they don't know what uh, – uh, how how long that author will live, how, how long um, that author will still be producing. So they probably tend to, to uh, uh, look at younger people. Well, 50 um, is not old. 50 is not old at all. Maybe it's just, a new, you know, is it the new 30? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there are people producing uh, 
publishing books at that age, mm-hmm. at virtually any age. Um, we all know these stories about how Truman Capote published his first book at 18 and mm-hmm. became an instant celebrity. And we sort of think, oh, I missed that. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm now too old. I'm 22 years old. And, and, you know, it doesn't matter the you, you learn to write by writing. That's that old saw. And it's absolutely true that you, I was told you had to publish a hundred thousand words before you couldn't consider yourself a professional writer. Um, and that's a nonfiction. I wrote three novels before I got one published. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had a background as a writer, as a reporter for so many years. Mm-hmm. It it takes time. And and the whole thing is, um, writers write one or two books and they don't sell, they can't sell the manuscript. And they get discouraged and they give up. Mm-hmm. And they look at authors who are well-published and... and uh, um, and think I'll never be that good. But that published author may have also written several novels that were turned down. Mm-hmm. So you you can't really give up. You have to keep going. And you do get better as you continue to write. And that's, that is the good news. And you write faster often as you continue to write, I've found. You know, well, I guess that's true. I've never thought of that, but I, I think that that is true. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you you just get on a roll. That's the kind of things that you do. Well, mm-hmm. when so you mentioned three books before you got picked up. Have you ever published those other books? Yeah, that's that's the funny thing. Um, one of the books was. Um, oh, let's see. Um, um, the Chili Queen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kept sending that to my agent. And um, every time I'd work on that manuscript, I'd tweak the ending a little more. And my agent finally said, you know, Sandra, what's wrong with this book is the characters aren't very likable. And I thought, oh, duh. And I made them likable, and she sold the book. Um, but I've never had anybody tell me that she's figured out the ending. And that's because I wrote the book so many times. Uh, another book was, um, oh, uh, uh, um, what I, well, several of my books have um, uh, been turned down initially and then years later have been successful. And one is Little Souls. I wrote that, um, oh, maybe 10 years ago, and my agent didn't like it much, and the response was, who cares about the 1918 flu epidemic, which is what the book was about. Mm. And then COVID came along, and my editor, Mm -hmm. my agent called and said, remember that manuscript? (laughs) And it was published, and it's the book that won the Colorado Book Award. How fabulous is that? So never throw away your manuscripts, never erase them from your computer. You just don't know when you may go back. And you may be a better writer later on and able to go back and take that first or second attempt and turn it into something publishable. I I think what you just said has really a gem in it because that as you write, I mean, the the writer you were 10 years ago, for example, 
Um, certainly I was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30, 40 years ago when I published my first book. I am such a different writer today in so many ways from wisdom, from, from how my perspective of things, my methodology, um, the, the engagement part. It's so different. You could go back probably and look at all these old books and alter them totally and come out with a new book. That's true. I, uh, one book I wrote, I would have, uh, years later, I realized, oh, this is what I should have done at the ending. Um, I don't like to pre-read my books because I mm-hmm. think, oh, why did I say it this way? Why didn't I do this? Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. do become a better writer mm-hmm. by writing. You also become a better writer by reading. Mm-hmm. Talk about that. What about reading competitors' um, books or other books in your genre or just reading in general? How much does that influence help what you're currently doing? I think in the beginning, we all tend to emulate successful writers of Hemingway, for instance, and, and we try different styles. And then we, we finally come into our own styles. Um, reading books um, shows you how others write. They, um, you can pick up ways words are used or phrases or uh, the way a story is organized. And you may just be reading for pleasure and something will hit you. And very often I'll, I'll take uh, uh, some little thing will appeal to me and I'll, go, I'll write it down and think I can use that sometime. But just the way that books are organized or the story is told um, it really helps you. You also reading bad books, you can see how poorly they're written and um, and see things to avoid. Oh, and, and you, then that's why you find out why the literally I can't remember where Sandra I picked it up, but the average book is closed by page eighteen if it doesn't have the engagement, the interesting character, even if they're awful characters, awful people, there's something engaging that you want to hang in there to see what in the heck they're going to do um, going on. But, you know, and I know I have closed books that I I just don't want to waste my time anymore if they can't kind of get it together to write for me. I mean, that's my feelings. Um, that's that's true. Um and I didn't know that it was uh, page 18 or 19 that you mm-hmm. made that decision. But um, I've <laughs> my problem is that I'll start reading a book that isn't very good. And, you know, like page 100, I'll say I'm not going to read this. I always remember that book and wonder how it ended. <laughs> so, <laughs> sometimes those bad books are really memorable. <laughs> oh, then, then go back and, okay, I'm going to read that last chapter and see what the heck happens. Yeah. <laughs> I have actually done that um, to to go in. Um, I have a, a quick question. You mentioned the, you know, the, your West, and you and I both live here in Colorado. So the question is, you know, what made you write about the West? I'm Western. I was born in the South, oh. uh, but I moved here when I was six. I yes. tried writing a book set in the South, uh, New Mercies, and I originally started writing from the standpoint of a Southern woman. 
Mm-hmm. And I realized after about a page or two that I'm not Southern. I can't, I don't have that, that, I, I don't have this Southern way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the North won the Civil War, and that can be a, a problem with, and you're in the <laughs> South. I, I just didn't have that, that mentality. And I finally had to write the book from the standpoint of a Denver woman who goes South and see it through her eyes. Mm-hmm. But I grew up in the West. Um, I, my mother always took us to historic places, and so I was intrigued with Larimer Street and, and uh, uh, the mountains. And and then I covered the West for Business Week for so many years. I wrote about hard rock mining, and occasionally I would write things that had historical um, um, information. And so when I started writing, it just seemed that that the West was the place to write about. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it reminds me years ago as a speaker, I worked with someone who who helped me choreograph some of my storytelling for the stage. And Bill said, you always, always go with what brung you. And for you, what brung you was the West. You know, you moved here as a, a little girl. And you, your mom took you to all these Western places and you wrote about the West for Business Week. So it seems totally logical to me. You knew it. It's what brung you. Yeah, I think you can learn about anything. If you want to write about the French Revolution, you can study enough. There, there's that old saw, you, you write about what you know. Mm-hmm. But you can learn about a lot of things. I think what's really hard is to come up with the feeling of the people. Um, you can write all the facts. And that's part of the whole cultural appropriation thing, where today, as a white woman, I could not write about a black character. Um, I couldn't write about, you know, this whole uh, uh, issue came up with uh, American Dirt, mm-hmm. uh, where the woman had not been Hispanic uh, and wrote uh, what I thought was a very good book. And I sort of disagree with cultural appropriation. I think, you know, if if it had existed uh, um, a couple hundred years ago, we wouldn't have had Uncle Tom's Cabin or Port Exactly. Um, but I do think that it is very difficult to write about a culture you're not part of. Yeah, I look at, at Manuel Ramos's books. Uh, these wonderful books about North Denver and the Chicanos there. I want and you, to I could, Sandra, hold that thought. We're going to take our final break, and we'll come back to. is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. And we'll be right back with more great information right after these. Are you confused about publishing options? Do you know which printing option is best for your book? Does your stomach flip when you think about selling books? Or do you feel overwhelmed with what to do about book marketing and publicity? Get the answers and much more. 
Get them and from someone who knows publishing inside and out from both the traditional and independent sides how to make a successful book. You can't do it alone without paying the price. You can spend your money creating a book that turns out to be so-so, or you can create a book that looks and feels classy, builds your brand and platform, and is a success, a bestseller. It is your choice. You choose. If you want author and publishing success, you want Judith Bryles as your book coach. Sign up for her weekly blogs and easing at thebookshepherd.com. The book shepherding concept is simple. The publishing world is changing, and so must you. You need an experienced shepherd and guide to collaborate with you as you create, strategize, develop, publish, and achieve your publishing goals. Publishing is riddled with obstacles, sometimes nightmares for the author. You do not need more problems. You want solutions. Dr. Judith Riles will shepherd you through the maze and chaos. At times, she has had to step in and rescue a book. A book that has been sabotaged by a publisher, by a publishing service provider, and sometimes even by the author. If you want author and book success, connect with her today at thebookshepherd.com. Welcome back to your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. If you want to write and publish a book, if you want to be successful as an author, your guide to book publishing, everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask, is for you. Stay tuned and you'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now to get you published. So let's get back to the show. And here again is your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. With me is New York Times bestselling author, um, Authors Hall of Fame inductee Sandra Dallas. And in our in our last segment, we were just kissing on before we went to the break some of the cultural sensitivity things that are going on. And Sandra, you were telling the story, and I didn't let you finish it. You want to bring it back? Yes. Um, I was talking about Manuel Ramos, who is a wonderful mm-hmm. writer writes about uh, North Denver, which is a Chicano area. Mm-hmm. And I could probably come up with a story, with one of his stories. I could never write with the understanding of Chicanos that Manuel has. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he, he just knows that culture. He speaks it. He thinks it. And I don't, you know, as a white woman, uh, uh, I, I just, I could never do that. Mm. So there's some truth in that. But if you, if you really write a good book that has all of, all of the elements it should have, you, you shouldn't be turned down just because of who you are. And, and that I would say that's an amen. Um, and it's always your imagination, though. Um, and I am so glad you mentioned Manuel Ramos. He, I mean, actually, I, I did a podcast with him for uh, earlier this month. And that um, at the the 2023 Hall of Fame induction, 
um, that will be it's that's slated for September 11th this year. Lalo Delgado is being um, inducted, and his family is coming from Austin, all over the country to celebrate Grandpa um, and their father. As a, as a and so, I'm very excited that we will have quite a contingency of the Chicano group in. <laughs> so that's good. That's good yeah. that you're recognizing such diversity. Well, you know, and, and just as a side thing, because the last thing I want to do in the last few minutes, I want you to talk about your new book, um, Where Coyotes Howl, um, that when those nominations go out and they're public nominations, we don't ask culture. We don't ask uh, for genres. We don't ask about age and we don't ask about gender. And I've always told the, uh, the board for the hall, do you need to trust the process? The public will get people in. And if they're good and that the legacy's there and we want to recognize them, it will happen. And it does every time it's happened. It's quite a mix. That's, so. that's good. But you do come up with a mix of people. Oh, yes. 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 Oh, yeah. We always have a, a great mix. But we don't go after quotas. There's no quotas. We just I just let it happen. <laughs> and, and then they're evaluated on their work. You know, on that's, what they've done. So that's that's great. That's yeah. the way it should be. Yeah, I, I think so. Okay, so let's talk about where coyotes howl. Um, what's the genesis? Oh, it goes back thirty or forty years. I reviewed a book written by a cowboy, and um, it was it was kind of a boring book. It was an autobiography, and he just had had a very ordinary life. I reviewed the book, and I don't keep review books, so I had given this to someone. And But that story always stuck in my mind. And some years ago, I decided, well, I'm going to find that book again. And I, uh, But I couldn't remember the title of the book, and I couldn't remember the author's name. And I couldn't remember if it was located in Wyoming or Montana, so I never found the book. And, and mm-hmm. one day I just decided, well, I'd sit down and write it. Um, it's a book that means a lot to me because um, I started writing it uh, just before my husband was hospitalized for a couple of weeks, and then he went into rehab, and I wrote it while he was in rehab, and I'd, I'd get up early in the morning and write, and then I'd go spend the day with him. So um, it, it was a book that uh, – and he's, he's perfectly fine now, but um, the recovery took a long time, and then COVID came along, so – um, it was a, a kind of an emotional book to write. The story, um, I never found the book. And so I started writing the story. And as always happens, your characters take over. And it became a very different story. Instead of a story about a cowboy, it was a story about, it, it's kind of a love story about a teacher who comes west uh, to Wyoming to, to uh, uh, teach in a, a very unpleasant little town. She thinks that Wyoming is in the middle of the mountains and she's read Zane Gray and thinks that, that, uh, um, you know, it's a very exciting place. It turns out that this is a town on the prairie and it's dusty and, and there's no mountain in sight. Um, she meets a cowboy and, and, uh, and they fall in love and they go to homesteading. And the story is about the challenge of, 
people in the West, about very ordinary people who fight the elements, uh, lack of money, uh, the winters, the, the horrible blizzards, and the blazing sun in July. There's a, a line about Wyoming. Wyoming has two seasons, winter and July, and that's pretty much the way it is. I love that. Um, it's also the the um, it's about the hardships they face. It is not uh, a you know a sunny story. It's very hard edged about the difficulties, but this couple endures because of their deep love for each other. The ending, I have, I had the last line well before I wrote the book, before I even knew what the story was. Mm. And I've had readers who don't like the ending, um, mm. but I felt that that was the way it should be. Are you going to share it with us? No. No. Okay, everyone, you got to go get the book, Where Coyotes Pal. <laughs> if that's not a pitch, Sandra. <laughs> She, um, the, 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 um, the title, my editor didn't like the title, but I never came up with it. It's, it's from, uh, uh, Cowboys Men, Bury Me Not on the Lone Prairie Where Coyotes Howl and the Wind Blows Free. Sounds totally appropriate to me. Um, she never came up with anything else and then she forgot she didn't like it. So we kept the title. And how do your readers like it? You've got quite a fan club, Sandra. Um, I haven't heard anything about the title. It's just the ending that, that they may. Oh. Mo most people actually like the ending I've heard from, but a couple have, have said that they don't. So. Well, you can't please them all. So, I, I have a, <laughs> we, I, you know, we have a couple minutes here. I would love you to talk about um, how engaging fans. How do you communicate with them? A lot by email, but also at book signings. Um, People people come to book signings tend to be people who who like your your um, uh, writing, and so they're not very critical. Mm -hmm. um, and then at speeches and and stuff like that, mm -hmm. um, just fairly traditional ways. But email is a wonderful way. Writers used to write letters, and occasionally I will get a letter. But email is so easy, and people who would never write to a writer. Uh, will contact you on email and tell you what they think about their books or point out uh, errors. All right. Uh, yeah, oh, yes. Oh, yes. They're very good at that. Tell me about Tell me about your website. So it's SandraDallas.com? Yes. All right. Um, and it's put together by a, a woman I think is very good. And uh, it's a very traditional website with uh, um, my picture and, and – uh, um, information about the books, and uh, I write uh, about why I wrote a certain book and um, what it's about. Oh, and all of you listening in, I think it's a good idea to look at other authors within your genre to, to see what they have um, on their website. And actually, as I'm saying this, I pulled up Sandra's website very quickly. I can see she's got book signings, and she's got a few books, and um, I kind of like the cover, the way the cover looks on where coyotes howl um, and doing that. And then it's always important. Well, she's got her contact page, so she doesn't give out her email, um, but she does say you can write in and here's your message. And that's how they're communicating with you. And it goes right to your email. Is that right, Sandra? 
Right, and and I always respond. And if somebody needs something, I'll just tell them my email. It's not mm-hmm. really secret. Mm-hmm. I, and I think I, I can't, mine's really bold on mine. But I also think what Sandra's got on her website, she has reading group guides. She has a tab for reading group guides, and it goes with each one of her covers. And then you could clip on, you know, uh, on one, for example, she has a book called The Fallen Woman, Fallen Women, and there's all the key question points, discussion groups that you could use for your book club. So, um, and not only check it out, but I'm telling all of you, you need to see what other authors are doing to add to your author success quotient. You know, if you're writing novels, you better, in my opinion, have discussion questions available on your website. I, I like to see them in the back of the book. Do you do that in the back of your book, Sandra? I do them in the back of the paperbacks. Yes. Okay. And so the back of the paperback. The edition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So highly recommended. All right, Sandra, we have like a minute and a half left. Any last minute tips? Don't give up. Uh, yes. And and read Anne Lamont's book, uh, uh, Bird by Bird, which is my favorite book on writing. Mm-hmm. Yep, I like it too. I actually like Stephen King's book quite a bit on writing. Yes, they're good. Uh, Anne's are more on um, what life is like as a writer. My favorite chapter is titled Really Shitty First Drafts, oh, which yes. I think we all relate to. <laughs> we all have them. We all have them. All right. So, Sandra Dallas, thank you so much for being with us. For all of you, her website is Sandra Dallas, just like the city. D-A-L-L-A-S dot com. Uh, review it. Check it out. It's a great model for a clean, crisp website um, that you want to look at. And if your goal is to publish with a traditional publisher, this is the kind of thing you want to have set up because I'll tell you, agents and potential publishers are checking out what you look like online. We'll be with you next week. Thank you, Sandra. For being a part of your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryan.